0: We need to make sure that your actual calories that you're using to hit your goal are actually accurate for you. And that's why cookie cutter meal plans and coaches that are not super experienced. They'll give someone a plan that, you know, their best friend has and they're like, oh, how come I'm not losing weight on this? So well that's because you're an individual. You have your own set of unique requirements.
1: You're listening to Muscle Medicine, where we debunk
0: the myths in the health and wellness world to bring you the latest updates in exercise, rehab, and nutrition from industry leaders. Join your host, Dr. Emily Kybert,
1: chiropractor
2: and movement expert, as she brings you simple, actionable tips to reach your
1: fullest potential. Dr. Emily Kybert here. Today, we sit down with Holly Baxter. She is a dietitian. And received her master's of dietetics from Deakin University. She has her own nutrition consulting company called HB Nutrition. And she is the director of nutrition for BioLane LLC. She's a figure competitor. Guys, if you check out her Instagram, ridiculous. And her workouts, amazing. And she's won the natural world title twice. And competed in figure for the IFBB Australia. She has her own recipe ebook foods that fit your macros, and in this episode, we talk about reverse dieting, how studies into muscle fiber typing for women has relevance for everyone, and how to build self-confidence when you feel like you're stuck riding the struggle bus or the pain train. Enjoy this episode. She is so fierce and so sweet at the same time.
2: Polly, we're really excited to have you on one of the first episodes of Muscle Medicine. And the goal of our podcast is to really decrease the fluff and bring real science to the masses. And when we were going through a list of guests that we wanted, you came up as one of the first.
0: Well, I I feel flattered. (laughs) Thank you for having me on. Yeah, you're
2: very uniquely placed in terms of being a dietitian and very science oriented in the field of nutrition. And I know that you're a competitor and Mm -hmm. been through a long training of academics and coaching. And I would love for you to tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and your background and how you got interested in all of this.
0: Sure, I can do that. Yeah, well, firstly, um, thank you so much for having me on. It's really nice to actually be uh, doing a podcast with women. I know that there are so many males that are kind of doing the, the podcast scene. And yeah, it's refreshing to have some girls to talk to. So it's super exciting. So my background, obviously, I'll just kind of summarize very quickly. But I grew up in Tasmania, which is the island just south of Australia, and I was heavily involved in sport when I was growing up. So I did track athletics, I loved sprinting, and I also was doing basketball And I think that is kind of what started my initial interest in the fitness and nutrition community. And I was uh, speaking to a group of other guys last week on a podcast of theirs. And they kind of said, well, what got you really specific into this, into this field? And it was a good and a bad thing. I had a, I had a coach who was incredibly well-known in Australia. He Coached a girl called Kathy Freeman, so she actually won the 400 meters at the Olympics, and is one of Australia's all-time great athletes. And he kind of compared me a little bit with hers. He used to his name was Peter Fortune, and he would always kind of say to me, "You know, Holly, you know, your physique is really important for this sport. Like, you need to make sure you you have a lot of lean mass, low body fat." Um, and right now you're actually carrying a little bit too much body fat and here's me like 16 year old young woman getting told by a coach you know you've got too much body fat you need to like lose weight basically and that kind of stemmed into what was a full-fledged eating disorder when i was really young so i battled with bulimia and binge eating disorder for quite a few years whilst i was still you know a competitive athlete so I think the good thing about this is that it was an awful thing to go through at the time, but it made me interested in nutrition. I obviously went on to further my career in dietetics. So I did my undergraduate degree in food science and nutrition, and then I wanted to do more. So I did my master's in dietetics. So thankfully, that's kind of led to a far more sound understanding of there are other ways to achieve a good body composition and especially Now, I'm very focused on flexible dieting and being able to incorporate a wide variety of foods and trying to develop better relationships with food myself, and then passing this message on to the people that I work with. So that's kind of how I got into the fitness and the nutrition side of things, and yeah. Now I find myself living in uh, North America. I'm now working with BioLane or Dr. Lane Norton. Gabrielle, I think you're very, very well us with Lane. You guys are good friends. So now I have a position here uh, working as a top nutrition coach uh, with BioLane and the director
2: of nutrition. So
0: yeah, I think I've come quite a long way.
2: <laughs> that's, that's really amazing. And you mentioned flexible dieting love for you to explain to the listeners a little bit about what that is and how that's different from paleo and ketogenic diets and really the mind frame of the all natural foods, things of that nature.
0: Sure. There are a lot of misconceptions about what the best way to diet is or how should I be dieting? How should I be eating in order to achieve fat loss? And you mentioned ketogenic diet, you mentioned paleo. There are so many different dieting strategies out there, you know, intermittent fasting that can achieve fat loss. But with each of these, they're all basically doing the same thing, which is um, some form of calorie restriction. And I had a, a woman ask me yesterday, is it true that, you know, calories in versus calories out actually matters? She's like, oh, I heard I need to eat more in order to lose weight. And I'm like, wow, well, that's actually a good thing because yes, I would love you to eat more. But yes, calories in versus calories out is a real thing. So I think when we look at these diets, they're just one way of creating a calorie deficit. But the problem becomes food group elimination. So something like paleo, where you're eliminating um, grains and dairy, or something like uh, the ketogenic diet, where you're restricting, you know, carbohydrates, which essentially restricts like five or six different food groups. So we're looking at, you know, you can no longer have a lot of fruits. We can't really have a lot of regular dairy products because there is the natural sugar found in dairy, lactose. So there goes your dairy um, and then all your, your grains and your cereals. It is significantly reducing your ability to hit your daily micronutrient intakes. So, you know, overall, they're just one way of creating a calorie deficit, but flexible dieting is something that enables you to eat Everything. It's just about knowing what your daily body energy needs are, hitting a certain ratio of proteins, carbohydrates, and fats. And you just get so much more variety with your food choices. And I think it gives people a much better relationship with food you know there's no longer good and bad foods which you know people will still clients of mine that I've just started working with they'll they'll send through like their weekly report and they're like oh I had such a bad week you know and then they screwed all over their diet and they're like look at this I had had this bad thing and I'm like how is that bad you hit your targets like that's fine I mean maybe if you ate that way all the time and perhaps it limited like your intake of all the other um more nutrient rich foods yeah wouldn't be such a good thing, but that's not a bad food. You can have what you like. So I think that is one of the positive things of flexible dieting is that you can really eat anything, but you just have to plan.
2: And I think you bring up a really good point for the listeners that it's, it is really about excess calories because we know excess calories cause inflammation. And really that is what leads to weight gain is, like you said, calories in versus calories out. It's not eat whatever you want and calories don't matter. That's...
0: And I think with uh, some of these dietary strategies, I know there's a lot of keto zelots out there. (laughs) So people that are specifically choosing to have high fats. And for some reason, I don't know where along the line this kind of happened, but it was like, they were like, oh, okay, I can, it must mean I can just have unlimited fats and I'm not going to gain weight. Well, no, it's actually not true. You still have to achieve
2: a certain calorie intake in order to continue hitting your goals. Let's talk about the ratio per meal. That's really key. As you mentioned before, Elaine and I are really good friends. We both trained under Dr. Donald Lehman. And as I know that, you know, I'm familiar with your work, that it's really important the macronutrient breakdown per meal for optimizing blood sugar, maintaining lean muscle tissue. Can you explain a little bit about that for uh, people?
0: Yeah, sure. When it comes to achieving your fitness goals, so if it is, for example, fat loss, and it can still be the same for muscle gain, for to be honest with you, but my hierarchy is number one, calculating an accurate energy requirement for you. Now, this will vary from individual to individual, depending on your age, your gender, your lean body mass. These things all play stake in determining your daily energy needs. Now, you know, for somebody that is sedentary, they have a very uh, like a desk job or they're not very active versus somebody that is a labor intensive job and they're outside working all day then we need to consider things like your activity factors. And the other thing that I think a lot of coaches that are not so experienced forget to consider is your metabolism. Now, this changes over the course of period uh, someone's life. Like It's not static. Um, your metabolism can be changed and it is constantly changing. It's not fixed.
2: How do you calculate all of that in? So you calculate the <laughs> basic Requirements. What which calculations are you guys using? Um,
0: there's a variety of different calculations. At the moment, we found that the Mueller equation is probably the most accurate across all age groups. So we we like to use the Mueller, but we've actually worked in our own metabolism factor, which uh, works really well. So we have a few questions. That the Mueller and many of these other um, equations for determining your basal metabolic requirements, this actually considers your metabolism. So, yeah, we look at your dieting history, your weight history, and your training history, as well as those current. It also comes into, you know, how long have you been dieting for? Have you been in a calorie deficit for your entire adulthood? Or was it perhaps that it was just intermittent, you know, periods of your life where you've gone, oh, I might do a diet, <laughs> you know, I've got some important event, and it's just been very sporadic and not frequent. So those kind of things certainly change your metabolism. That's the first thing in my hierarchy. So we need to make sure that your your actual calories that you're using to hit your goal are actually accurate for you, and that's why um, you know, like cookie cutter meal plans and coaches that are not super experienced they will give someone a plan that, you know, their best friend has and they're like, Oh, how come I'm not losing weight on it? So that's because you're an individual, you have your own, you know, set of unique requirements. So that's the first thing. And then you are asking about macronutrient ratios. That's still not quite, that's not the next thing in my priority. What I'm looking for when I'm working with clients would be to determine what their actual eating behaviors and their preferences for certain foods are. So, are you somebody that really likes carbohydrates or do you prefer fats? And the reason that is actually important is because the most successful diet is going to be one that you can stick to and is sustainable. So as a coach and someone working with you for your nutrition, I want to know how you like to eat, what you like to eat, because the ratio of fats and carbohydrates actually is less important. It's mostly hitting those calorie requirements is number one and then the other thing is the amount of protein that you're consuming so once those two are kind of pushed to the side the ratio of carbs and fats is less important so that's when we start to say hey well you can mix
2: these up <laughs> so so you mean protein's not a dangerous macronutrient
0: oh no you certainly have to set your um protein requirements based on your lean body i'm totally <laughs>
2: I'm totally, kidding. there's these communities out there that are very anti-protein. Mm-hmm.
0: I think going back a few years, you know, there was a lot of hype in the media. And again, the media is a great thing, and it's also a terrible thing because they can fuel uh, and spread information that is very inaccurate very quickly. And protein certainly isn't dangerous. There was a couple of articles and news publications in Australia with some people in the bikini or bodybuilding community, and it was published that high-protein diets were, they caused her death, this young woman actually. Yeah,
2: I saw that. I think she had a urea urea disorder.
0: She did, she did, like it wasn't something that was known, so uh, when the media kind of got hold of this, they were like, oh, you know, it's the high-protein intakes, and yes, there is a relationship, you know, between urea and protein, if you look about if uh, you think about how protein is actually metabolized and broken down but they didn't really elaborate on the fact that she actually has a condition that prevented her body from actually being able to process this and get rid of the ammonia which is toxic to a body if you don't excrete it so protein is obviously very important too so we're looking for around like 2 to 2.5 maximum 3 grams of protein per kilo of lean body and then once you know those two things, the map, as I was saying before, your carbs and your fats is really up to you depending on your food choices.
2: And there was something that you had mentioned in terms of metabolic adaptation and reverse dieting, which is really interesting and really it's come out a lot more.
0: And I'd mm-hmm. love
2: for you to explain how you incorporate that into your programming
0: yeah, it's actually great. I'm doing a reverse diet right now, which is super fun because uh, it's been a little while and a long time coming. But essentially, a reverse diet is something that will help you to recover or correct your metabolism. I mentioned before about the repeat bout cycle of like dieting and, you know, having a chronic low calories. Over time, what can happen is if this is you and you're, you know, you're dieting, you might lose, say, five kilos or 10 pounds if we're using your metric. <laughs> I'm still from Australia. We use kilos. But let's say you might lose a little bit of weight and then you rapidly consume a high amount of calories and then you regain that weight, for example, um, very quickly. And then your metabolism hasn't actually had time to adjust to the increase in calories. Right. And then all of a sudden you're back to where you started, but your metabolism has actually shifted down a notch because it's still in conservation mode. It's in conserve mode because you've been restricting calories. So then you go, Oh, well, I want to diet again. So now in order to actually achieve the fat loss that you want to achieve, you have to be even more restrictive. So your calories have to come down again so maybe you you achieve that four or five kilos again that you wanted to get off so you're at your happy weight and then you decide you're not in control of your nutrition you have a poor relationship with food because you've been so restrictive that you then eat really quickly you do it in a way that allows you to gain weight really rapidly and your metabolism is still really really low it might be even lower than before So then all of a sudden, like you're still at this weight that you're unhappy with, but your metabolism has become more and more and more suppressed. So we have people that will come to us um, and it happens probably more frequently now with the growing interest in like the bodybuilding community and the bikini competitors and people just wanting to lose weight where they're like... I don't know what to do. I feel like I'm absolutely having to starve myself and I feel like I'm also exercising 10 times more than I ever had to just to lose a little bit of weight. And I'm like, well, this is why. And like this is this repeat cycle of dieting, gaining weight, dieting, gaining weight and not allowing their metabolism to actually catch up. So the reverse dieting process helps to correct this metabolic suppression and get people back to reasonable calorie intakes with the goal of minimizing weight regain during this process. So it actually is still fairly, uh, if you're coming from somewhere like with very low calories and you're doing this correctly, it can still feel like you're dieting for a little while because you do have to be very specific and time it correctly. You can't just go from A to Z with your calories and expect to not gain weight. So it's a process, but it can help people to, uh, recover and build back up their metabolism, so that in the future, if they wanted to diet again, they're starting from you know really high calories instead of really low calories, um, and they're not having to go so restrictive with their food intakes in order to achieve weight loss.
2: You know, it seems as if tracking would be a really valuable tool rather than eyeballing food, but actually tracking the data, right? Because you can't change what you don't track.
0: <laughs> exactly. Yes tracking is very important. I think a lot of people find tracking intimidating. Do you girls follow flexible dieting or are you kind of intuitive eaters or like what is your process?
2: I'm very open-minded to flexible dieting and I think that it can work well for a lot of individuals. What I found in my clinic and, you know, I'm sure Emily would agree that the patients that are in calorie excess and already very inflamed have a hard time having a little bit. So putting them on flexible dieting seems to be a slippery slope. So individuals can't have a small piece of cake, even if it's within their macros. So what we've found is that when we lower their caloric burden and increase their fiber, really focusing on whole foods, I find that individuals, at least my patients, the athletes and the military seem to be different the majority of the patients tend to do better. But then again, people aren't coming, for the majority of the time, people aren't coming to myself or Emily because they're feeling great. They're coming because- Yeah, they need help. Mm-hmm. They need help that optimizing body composition isn't the initial goal, rather feeling good, losing really that kind of belly bloat. You know, they uh, some of them have celiacs, which I know you're familiar with. You know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and we can talk about that if you want it's really about lowering their inflammatory load first and then they have to earn the ability to flexible diet.
0: Yeah, I completely understand that. I think for people that have gone to a point where they're, you know, they're in that obese category and they probably have a poor relationship with food and it might be that it is overeating or binge eating and, you know, perhaps just lack of understanding or knowledge of nutrition and foods putting them in a position where they're just relearning like what is a sensible diet is probably a really great thing if i was looking as an outsider to the people that you guys work with i think that starting somebody off on like a a meal plan or a structured meal plan, but within the food choices that they kind of like so that they're still getting a little bit of the things that they enjoy to help it be a sustainable thing because I think it's important that we all be we should be able to include things that we we like and on a regular basis. But knowing how to control those urges and, you know, having the ability to say no can be really tough. I mean, hey, I'm putting my hand up here. I have a lockbox <laughs> at my house because I'm <laughs>
2: Emily, Emily, do you have a lockbox? You know, it's interesting. You know, Emily and I, you know, we share patients and we really focus on collaborating care with them. And I would say that the biggest thing that they struggle with, and Emily, I'm sure you agree, is getting that diet right and being able to have the mind frame of optimization. Don't, wouldn't you say
1: that that's true? Yeah, absolutely. And then also in terms of like chronic pain, working with people on a biomechanical level, I was having difficulty getting them out of pain and then I sent them to you and it was like, they got better so much and faster. And
2: it's it's interesting. I think that's where the science meets the art of medicine. You know, Holly, you, you have celiacs, correct? That is correct, yes. How did you find that out?
0: Very frustrating. <laughs> Well, it's funny, actually. I was working with patients in a clinical setting for quite a while in gastroenterology and working with people with diverticulitis, Crohn's disease, celiacs, all the time, IBS. And I've been and had a few tests done. um, The hydrogen breath test is what I would send my clients off to have done for just regular IBS symptoms. And then we could treat that with a nutritional strategy called FODMAP. So I was doing this every single day and I just thought, oh, my symptoms, I probably just have some IBS. So I went and got tested. I was like, yeah, okay, you have a fructose intolerance. You're also, you know, slightly or mildly intolerant to some of the sweeteners, the sugar alcohols. So I know like that was just some of the foods that I just knew if I was going to eat them, I'd probably have some kind of gastrointestinal symptoms or GI uh, discomfort. But this kind of went on and on and on for like probably – 18 months before I was like, gee, I really should go get this checked. So um, yeah, I ended up having the blood serology test for celiacs and also a gastroscopy. So they actually take the sample of your stomach lining to check whether you actually have any villi damage. And yeah, sure enough, it was severely damaged. (laughs) So yeah, I actually went on in suffering for quite a while before I checked myself out, which I think happens to the best of us when you're, um, you know, you're very busy yourself and you always put yourself last and uh, I'm pleased I went and got it done, but it's, it's a frustrating condition because for
2: the most part, and, and we don't know that's being gluten-free. Yes. So that means that you can't have any gluten or any foods that cross react. And when you actually don't have just a sensitivity, but actually a, Mm-hmm. full-blown celiac disease. You have to yeah, monitor. gluten-free
1: for life. <laughs> There's lots of like hidden gluten sources. And- there is.
0: Uh, it's amazing how many products have gluten in them or they're manufactured on the same processing equipment for other foods that are, you know, gluten-containing. So for some people, like it might be that they, they're not getting a reaction, but it's actually still causing damage. So the damage is... When villi are obviously getting exposed to that protein fraction inside these foods and it prevents your body from then being able to digest micronutrients and other important things. So if you were somebody that had celiac disease and you continually chose to consume gluten-containing foods, A, not only would it be very uncomfortable and painful – but it's damaging your body and you can become very malnourished. I used to tr- uh, treat a few patients that were severely malnourished because they were just constantly choosing the wrong foods. They would lose all this weight. They'd start to have all these other immune function problems and then becoming sick. So it's a frustrating condition. So like soy sauce was something that I was like, Oh no, I can't have sashimi anymore. <laughs> but um, yeah, like
2: there's, there's a, a lot of foods. Yeah. Neither can Emily, neither can any of my patients, yeah. <laughs> but i want to talk about that. about that off the air.
1: I'm curious how you find the balance between having someone find all their macronutrients and the reverse dieting. And then, you know, you mentioned something really interesting, which was still offering people things they like to eat. I'm curious how you balance that out because I feel like sometimes the things that we like to eat should should not be the things that we eat. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I mean, like I said before, like
0: there was a, a lady that circled t- yesterday when I was doing her report, like she'd had burgers, she'd been out and had she was at a buffet breakfast within a hotel. So she mentioned she ate like waffles and sausage. And I think she said she had like ice cream at breakfast. And I was like, well, did, did you hit your macro targets for your carbohydrates, your fats and your proteins on that day? And she's, yes, I did. So I said, well, that's fine. From a physique standpoint, that's great. You're not going to gain weight from doing that. That is not a bad food for your weight loss. However, if you chose to do that all the time and you completely avoided, you know, more nutritious foods like your vegetables, your fruits, your dairy, and other more nutrient rich carbohydrate sources and fibrous foods, yeah, maybe I would then have a problem with this. But if it's just occasionally, then I don't have an issue with that. And I think personally, I have found working with both general population and competitors, I'd seem to be able to get better compliance to overall macronutrient targets if they can have like a regular treat that they like. So like I'll say, well, if if you're going to have ice cream or if you would like to have a donut or whatever it is that you really enjoy, I'm happy for you to do that once or twice a week, but make sure you plan it, like know when you're going to have it. If you've got an event coming up on the weekend with your friends, that's great. Okay, if you want to have an alcoholic drink, that's fine too, but just know when you're going to do it, log it, make sure that it is in your diary so you can see what kind of you know, calorie consumption it's actually going to have and how it affects your daily targets, and then plan your other meals around that. So if it was something that was super rich in fats and carbohydrates and you know it's going to take up a lot of your, your target, it's like looking at your macros as your bank balance. So if you only had $100 and you had to make that last you for a couple of days, you're probably not going to go out and buy a $95 pair of, I don't know, sand shoes or sneakers if it meant that you had $5 left for the rest of the day. So I would look at that the same with my nutritional choices. So if I only have 60 grams of fat for a day and I'm going to go and have like three tablespoons of peanut butter or Nutella which is going to take up 50 grams of fat and then I've got to make that last 10 stretch out over my whole day I'm probably not going to do that all the time because you know I don't value that food that much I would rather be able to eat a little bit more freely um, throughout the rest of the day so yeah that's kind of where I'm at with how I would recommend people choose their foods but that's specifically for people that are doing macronutrient tracking it's probably a little different if you're intuitively eating or just trying to make better food choices.
2: And do you think it's possible to intuitively eat and really and make better food choices and optimize your body composition or is tracking really essential? I,
0: I think that people have to track at some point in their lives to have an understanding of what is in foods. I don't think that people can come from a place where they've never really had an understanding of the nutritional value of foods and then be able to intuitively eat because they don't really like how would they know whether that particular food is really rich in protein or how would they know uh, whether that food is super rich in carbohydrates if they'd never actually weighed out a food looked at it and been able to visually see what it actually contains so I think that that is a really hard bridge to cross. I would always advise people to go and learn about macronutrient tracking. And once they're kind of settled in and can see what foods really equate to over the course of the day, then I might be able to say, all right, well, you've been doing this for 12 months now. I think you get a pretty good idea about, you know, how to achieve your 150 grams of protein or whatever it is. Now, I think you should probably be okay to intuitively eat and maintain a a healthy weight.
2: And who are your most successful coaching clients? What do they do? How is their mind frame and how is how are their habits and behaviors?
0: People that go into it with an open mind and try to let go of their preconceived ideas about what is good and what is bad <laughs> and just trusting the process, especially clients that have been on ridiculously low calorie diet plans in the past that have just ruined their metabolisms. I think uh, when they can see that they're able to start eating more without gaining weight, and that they can eat, you know, these foods that they thought were previously bad. Just being able to experience that and their mindset just completely changes. Yeah, I get lovely emails from clients and messages all the time saying, I can't believe I can now, you know, eat pizza on the weekend with my family. Like previously, I would go out and, you know, we'd have pizza with the family and I would cook something else because I didn't think that I could have that. So the people that do really well are just open-minded and give it a go and, (laughs) I'm not really sure where else to go with that.
2: What do you think the single most important nutrition variable is? Well, it depends what someone's goal is. But from a health perspective and
0: from a physique standpoint, calories, determining or understanding what your maintenance calories are, I think is probably the most important thing. And people can actually determine that or go and work out what their own maintenance calories are. So that is the amount of energy from foods that you consume that maintain your exact weight. So I put a video up on my YouTube channel a few weeks back, which explains how to do this, but because there are uh, calculations that you can use, but if you're just a regular person who wants to give it a go, you can just record what you eat for seven days. You don't have to probably even do it for seven, maybe five. If you're somebody that eats fairly routinely with similar food choices, and then have a look at the, averages of your macronutrients, like your proteins, your carbs, and fats, and then you can determine your calories. So therefore, you know, your maintenance calories and that kind of sets you up for any direction that you want to go. So if you know your maintenance, you know that you'd like to gain muscle, well, then you know, you need to add more or if you're wanting to lose weight, well, now I know my maintenance calories. I know if I want to lose weight, I need to eat less or I need to do more activity. So I think that's probably a key variable for physique, but also for overall health. If you can find a place that your body is in a, like a healthy BMI range or weight.
2: And, and just out of capacity, what, what do you consider healthy for body fat? Um, for it varies
0: again. for women, women and men. It's really hard to say because it depends who the client is and what their goals are, but For females, just general population, I think somewhere between like 18 to 25 is about the norm. A lot of people have no idea what their body fat should be actually. So that is normal.
2: You know, I think that's what we consider the norm. I think that's high. You know, I think that we're so lenient. I
0: think that over the last probably five or 10 years, the expectation, especially for women, is that we should be Leaner, but once we get below like that 15% body fat, that's when you're starting to compromise like who we are as women. Like, I have a lot of women that will lose their menstrual cycle at 15%, but then there are others that are you know highly competitive athletes for whatever their sport, and they might be down as low as like 8% body fat. I mean, I got to that when I was doing my figure competitions, and I've lost my menstrual cycle only you know, around that sub 10, but others I've had them, you know, not lose menstrual cycle at all. And they're 7% body fat. So I think it is variable from being able to, like from a reproductive standpoint, um, what's acceptable and what's not, but men, it's usually a little bit lower.
1: Holly, I'd love to talk about your own training because on your Instagram, you are such a beast <laughs> in a beautiful way. <laughs> oh, thanks. And I love that you talk about Why it takes you ninety minutes to complete? Is it five exercises? Mm
2: -hmm.
0: You can you (laughs) talk about that a little bit? Absolutely. Previously, I could probably get into the gym and I would do seven or eight exercises, four sets, and be done in like sixty minutes. But how I used to train versus how I train now is very different. From a physique standpoint. I'm still exactly the same. It's just that I have a focus on improving my strength. So I'm actually going to do a powerlifting competition in about eight weeks time. So I have completely changed the rep range that I kind of work to and the load of the weights. So (laughs) right now, if I'm going into the gym, like today, I'm going to go and do squats and deadlifts. I've got like doubles. Literally I have to go in, I do three sets, of two reps, like I'm looking at that, I'm like, Oh my God, I got to do six reps today. (laughs) Wow. I got to set myself up. Like if I looked at that on paper, like 12 months ago, I'd be like, Oh my God, I'm going to get so obese because I'm just not going to burn any calories from this. (laughs) But, um, no, it's, it's such a different way of training like for strength. Like I need to sit down and like just recuperate like mentally as well as physically from lifting really
1: heavy. So. And why have you made that shift just Based on your own goals,
0: yeah, I think. Uh, well, obviously, I'm heavily influenced by the people that I'm around, and everyone really likes powerlifting. Um, my partner Lane, obviously, is a very good powerlifter, a world champion powerlifter at some point before he was uh, got a, got himself a little bit injured, but. I enjoy competitive sports and figure competing and fitness modeling. It got me in the door to being interested in weights training and, you know, taking care of my physique, but it felt really monotonous going in training and not really having any immediate gratification or reward from the the training, Like, yeah, okay, I did really well, won a couple of world titles when I, you know, had trained for 20 weeks or something like that. But that's a long time to, to work hard and to push yourself without getting any, like, happy feelings. Like, yeah, I enjoy weights training, but it gets a bit boring. So powerlifting is giving me more focus. Like, I enjoy going to the gym because, like, I go in, I, I might hit a PB, like, every... Second week, it's awesome. <laughs> like, I'm really motivated and I can see my strength going up. Like, there's that immediate feeling of happiness. <laughs> so, yeah, that's, that's kind of why I'm pushing more towards powerlifting. It's just sport, it's performance.
1: I noticed someone had mentioned they were kind of like pointing out technique and being picky, and they were pointing out like hypermobility. Do you oh, still yeah. have that? <laughs>
0: Well, I've, I've never like been to see anybody and no one's ever like given me a clinical assessment or diagnosis of it, but I have noticed just in looking at back at some of the lifting videos, um, specifically my deadlift. When I set up, I seem to have very hypermobile joints through my elbows. And I would probably say that is also true for my wrists. When I'm doing squats, I can feel like yeah. I'm just very flexible <laughs> so with like my hamstrings for me to do like a, uh, to get my hamstrings to fully extend. I would have to do like, if I was doing a barbell remaining deadlift, I'd have to go at least like half a foot below my feet to feel like my hamstrings are actually getting full extension. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah, there was some, I'm, I think I know who you're actually referring to. He was like, oh yeah, your spine is in flexion here. You know, you're going to hurt yourself doing that. And I kind of looked back at the video and, you know, I'm, I'm not too skeptical. I was like, I'm going to listen to this guy, but I have also a huge lordotic spine. So I think it just looks worse
1: because of my hip position, but it's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> see a lot of hypermobile people, men and women, in the clinic. And I'm mm-hmm. like, if there was just some nutritional recommendation that could go along <laughs> with all the movement and strength stuff or some sort of supplementation, I don't know if there is any, or Gabrielle, if you know of any.
2: Yeah. It's actually interesting that that is. A great question. And I was thinking, you know, Holly, what supplements do you take? What supplements do you recommend? Nothing um, specifically
0: for hypermobility. In fact, we just went and saw Dr. Stu McGill, who is a world-leading or world-renowned back specialist. And he seems to be of the opinion that for somebody that is in my particular sport, being super stretchy and flexible is actually a bad thing you want to be rigid and you know not have a whole lot of movement to be able to support the the style of weightlifting that we're doing so in my case flexibility isn't actually that good so i don't need to go and like stretch a lot i'm actually i need to be focusing on like getting tight which sounds interesting, but I mean, he is the world-leading expert in in back therapy. So I'm going to listen to him. But for other people, supplementation-wise, I am a big believer of whole foods. Like as far as your nutrition is concerned, I would rather say eat a wide variety of foods rather than taking a multivitamin or something like that, because the bioavailability of some of the micronutrients is fairly uh, limited when you're putting it into a capsule form. And a lot of these micronutrients actually bind and chelate together and then they're poorly absorbed anyway. They just go straight through your GI system. So I think whole foods are actually better in that sense when it comes to nutrition. But supplements, I usually recommend for people that are not super big meat eaters, a whey protein isolate of some sort. Just to help achieve their daily protein needs. And it offers you a sweet alternative to like eating meat, which is a savory. So for me, that's a really big thing because I'm not a huge savory eater. So I like to have my WPI just so I can have like a nice sweet milkshake or I mix it through like a Greek yogurt or something and make a dessert. But BCAA is branching amino acids, certainly important um, as far as recovery from exercise and also to support muscle protein synthesis um, and increasing your lean muscle mass. But that is really it. I'm not a huge supplement gal. (laughs) So uh, when it comes to physique, it's really like the last thing on the hierarchy. Like you don't actually need a lot of these things to be at your best.
2: I think that the healthier you are, the the more true that is. I think that mm-hmm. when you're <laughs> a variety of things and you're really dialing in your diet, there's a lot that you can achieve.
0: Well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, like if you look at all the food groups, you can achieve all the micronutrients. I think the the biggest one for me when I'm doing um, nutrition analysis with clients is omega-3 is always right down because not everybody enjoys eating seafood and then if they do they're like oh but i ate some shellfish or i had um some clams today i'm like well that's not really an oily fish you know omega-3 is found typically in our oilier fish type and it's not as commonly consumed and the other micronutrient that i tend to see being quite low is folate so trying to encourage people to eat, you know, dark leafy greens and coloured vegetables seems to be quite the task. So yeah, they're two that are usually very, very low. And then occasionally I'll get people that are not really big dairy fans. So in those situations, I just say, get a supplement. It's better than not having any.
2: Yes. Well, our time is short and your time is super valuable and we really appreciate having you on. Thank you. How can people find you?
0: They can find me in a number of ways. I think I'm most active on my Instagram, which is Holly T. Baxter. So you can definitely jump on there. I put a lot of my page is mostly educational. I try to do informative stuff. I know there's a lot of like fitness celebrities and women that are, you know, they're motivated they're motivating because they put all these beautiful pictures of themselves up. I'm a little bit like Uh, I can't bring myself to do that because I'm not really camera. I don't really enjoy like taking photos. (laughs) So yeah, all my stuff is like educational. And hopefully if you do start following me, you can gain some really valuable information about nutrition and training. But also I have a YouTube channel where I do lots of macro-friendly recipes. So you can head over to my YouTube channel, which is just Holly Baxter. I also have an exercise YouTube channel and a nutrition YouTube channel. So you can actually find all that just by going to my main page. But yeah, they're probably the main two that I'm active on. Obviously, I have a website, www.hbnutrition.com.au, and that's got like plenty of articles, again, stuff that is very resourceful, and that also explains like my different coaching programs that are available too.
2: (laughs) Amazing. Are you, are you still open to take more clients? Are you open that? I
0: am, but I'm probably getting close to my limits right now. I have uh, made a few big life changes recently and I now have the responsibility of being a step parent. So I feel like I'm getting close to my limit with trying to manage myself and I love to do things really well i hate doing things half-hearted so if you are interested in coaching do it soon because i think i will probably be stopping taking on one-on-one clients probably in the next month okay well
2: yeah again so much for being on yeah thank you so much
1: (laughs) thank you very much for having me girls that's a wrap i have two truths that i fully believe in first to be one percent better every single day and second all feedback is good feedback because it helps us grow. Why do I say this? We have a great contest for you guys to share the word about muscle medicine. We have a signed copy of Brenda Bouchard's High Performance Habits, Foods That Fit Your Macros ebook by Holly Baxter, Kathy Dooley's Immaculate Dissection DVDs, five of my favorite health and wellness books, a 60-minute higher dose, which the infrared sauna place, a session for two people, a Mobot mobility water bottle so you can foam roll and hydrate wherever you are and a roll of rock tape and rock floss to get your mobility and stability in all the right places. How do you get these prizes? Go to Muscle Medicine on iTunes. Hit subscribe at the top. Give us a five-star review if you love what we're doing and then head over to bit.ly slash muscle med. B-I-T slash muscle med send us your name your email hit submit and then you're entered share muscle medicine with your friends to increase your chances of winning thank you so much from the bottom of my heart